or to the fifth angel. And so that's verse number 10. And um, we're going to see a phrase repeated, and we're going to stop at this phrase. We've got these seven angels who are pouring out these bowls of wrath upon the world, okay? So the time period that we're in, we're recognizing as you read this section of scripture, is that half a time, and to be specific, all these plagues really take us to the end, right? I mean, they're meant to, to, to picture a cataclysmic conclusion to the history of this world, an end to time, an end to sin, an end to death, an end to the devil. This is really where uh, all of these plagues are leading us. Thus, they're called what? Bowls of wrath, the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. In verse number 10, we get this fifth, fifth angel. Remember, the fourth angel poured out his bowl of wrath, and the sun became so hot that it scorched people. Okay, so kind of picturing as we get to the end, the sun, if you put two, two scriptures together, seems to just flame up and burn out, right? So in one place here in Revelation, it, it's hot and burning people, and then it's dark and dead. All right, so that's that cataclysmic end. This angel has a different bowl of wrath. It says the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, okay? And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Okay, so here comes this, this fifth angel. And um, as he pours out uh, uh, his bowl, he's pouring out specifically upon the throne of the beast. Okay, so we're, we're kind of, we're going to kind of put these, these, this, this unholy trinity together, that as the end comes, you have Satan, right? And then his two beasts. One of those beasts is the political beast. One of them is the religious beast. Both of them get mentioned here in this section because what, what is the aim of this section? To take us to the very end. God is going to, what, destroy not only Satan, but his agencies. In this case, what, gov government, right? So what you have is this plague is poured upon the earth and the kingdom of the beast is plunged into darkness, all right? It would be a way, if I, if I said it very symbolically, of recognize, men recognizing as they come to the end that there, there, there is no help that comes from the political world. The political world has no answer to the issues and the ills now that face us. Why? Because God is orchestrating this thing, and he's, he's, he's causing such catastrophe, both physically upon bodies and physically upon the earth, that mankind goes, there's no hope for us in the government. Okay? Um, I think most of us in this room probably know that already, right? Um, when somebody says to you, the check is in the mail from the government, you say, good luck, right? Um, when the government makes promises, uh, as we're listening to all these different candidates talk about what they're going to do, I'm going to build a wall, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Do, does this happen in your mind? Do you say to yourself, yeah, I think I've heard a lot of promises before, and, and they don't get fulfilled. So what's happening here is mankind recognizes that there is no hope that comes from the political entities in this world, and rather than turning back to God, this is what I want you to see, this, this pattern. Rather than turning back to God, we have a repetition of this phrase. 
Here it is. They did not repent of their deeds. They did not repent of their deeds. Okay. I think this is happening now, today, in our world. But what we'll see is, as we get into that halftime, even more so. God is escalating. He's escalating the, the, the attempt that he's making right now to turn men back to himself. His whole desire is that men will come to this place of saying, I give up. I do need help, and it's not coming from the government. It's going to have to come from God. That's this whole. But rather than turning, mankind, we have the ability to do what? To actually resist God. And the, phrase, the term that's used here, we read this last week, is the term, they blasphemed God. They literally, when it says that they, they cursed the God in heaven, the, the Greek verb there is they blasphemed the God in heaven. They are, they are recognizing, you know what, you, God, are doing this, and we are your enemy. You are our enemy. So their heart, rather than turning towards God, is what is so hardened, it's turned completely away from God. I want, I want to review this with you. We, we've looked at this passage before, but I, I think this is happening in our world today uh, in, in a large extent. And I want you to kind of see the way that God is doing this. So, so flip over with me and kind of capture this picture that um, Paul gives to us in the book of Romans. Okay, so we're going to turn to Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18. And I think this section of scripture is so right for us um, as a church and as families to recognize how God works uh, and what goes on inside of human beings. Paul is writing and he's talking about God's wrath. See the alignment with Revelation. Here are these angels pouring out God's wrath upon the world. What is the purpose of wrath? To bring people back to himself, right? But what do men do with that wrath? Okay, go to verse 18. So for so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is now. This is a, this is, this is a word for, for you and I living in our, our world today. Revelation takes us to that end time where we see that wrath increased upon the earth. But the purpose of it is the same. And what Paul is saying is, right now, if you look at our world, what God is doing is, in a thermostatic way, in a controlled way, in a very intentional way, he, he is actually measuring out his wrath against unrighteousness. Those who come against him, God says, I, I will give you the rewards of your sin. What do we do with that? Well, the purpose of God is to do what? Is to cause me to break down and to say, you know what? Help me. I absolutely am lost. I've lost my way. I need God in my life. I need Jesus Christ. But remember that every human being is born with the ability to do what? To, read these, read these words with me again, to suppress the truth. To suppress the truth. Now, keep going. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, 
namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This is really interesting to me that, you know, Paul is saying that since the very beginning of, of, of the world, God has put in front of man clear evidence that he is the maker of all things. I, I, am, I am the author of life, okay? What, what have we done with that in our culture? We put our kids in classes, we put our kids in science classes, we put our kids in schools, and what do we say? How did it happen? How did this world get here? Bang! Okay? We've got to take God, and we're going to do one of two things with him. Either we're going to sideline them all together and say, no, the way the world got here, you can just take God out, out of the picture completely. Okay? Um, I've always, I've always thought about this through the eyes of, of Stephen Hawking, you know, um, astrophysicist, uh, no doubt a brilliant guy, who, when he, when he first wrote this book, A Brief History of Time, you know, made a comment in it that I think is, is interesting and helpful. You know, Hawking is looking at, you know, the expansion of the universe and, and, and the fact that our entire you know, galaxy system here is such a small part of the whole. And he actually makes the statement in a brief history of time that we must allow for the possibility that there was a, quote-unquote, striker of the original match, that there, that there is some entity out there that began all of this, okay? Now, he's revised his position. If you uh, watched the movie on his life, that was put out here a couple of years ago. It's more reflective of his second book, where Hawking has now moved all the way over here and said, no, I think that we can account for the beginning of time apart from any divine being. What Paul is saying is, here's what's really going on. It is evident, clearly evident, to human beings that there is a maker. That there is a maker. What we have the ability to do, however, is to do what? To suppress the truth, to push down the truth, to deny it, to say, no, I, I, I don't need a God for creation. I don't need a God in my life. I don't want a God trying to tell me how to live my life. There's that desire in our old man to do what? To do what Adam and Eve were tempted to do. God knows. If you eat of this fruit, you shall be like him, knowing what is right and wrong. You become God. And so within us all is born this desire to, do, to be our own God. It causes us to literally do what? To suppress the truth. We see it in so many ways outside of ourselves. Here's Paul saying, just look at the human eye. I, I got to see mine this week up close and personal. Um, I have a problem with epithelial cells adhering to Bowman's membrane. And so I have what's called a... a constant erosion and for the last number of years I wake up in the morning and my eye rips open it's extremely painful so I finally went in to see the doctor and the doctor said lay down on that bench here's what we're going to do we're going to put a put a deal in your eye we're going to open it up and we're going to uh, take a little blade and we're going to cut your eye I'm like that sounds awesome I can't tell you what it feels, looks like I have this, like this little blade, like an X-Acto blade going, Whoa! you're like, oh, 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 oh. Um, but 
healing up, doing better. You look at just look at a picture of the eye, just the eye alone, and you say, how did that happen? That happened, right? Uh, no. What Paul's saying, suppress the truth. You've got to suppress the truth. You, you know, you've got to be that person that goes, I am, yeah, I'm not going to listen to the truth, right? But we now get to a place in culture where we what? We accept it as that's just normal. There's no, oh, that, yeah, that must be right. Everybody believes that. We accept that. And so we sideline God. We put him off to the side or we get rid of him altogether. And I think it's what's going on in our culture today. What is Paul saying? God is doing what? He is pouring out right now in a measured, intentional way his wrath upon those who are suppressing the truth. Now he goes on. This is kind of scary to me. In this section, verse 21, he says, although they knew God, they didn't honor him or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. Now, we're thinking about, in ancient civilizations, actual idolatry, right? The creation of symbols that there's our source of power and being. Even the Romans, here are the gods, our pantheon of gods. They become that foolish that instead of recognizing God, we'll suppress the truth and we'll create our 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 own gods. This is this is what gets me, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their own bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. They practiced lesbian sex. The men likewise gave up natural relations with, with women and were consumed with passion for one another, homosexuals, sex with men. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Remember we talked about that, that bowl of wrath that what resulted in sores on the body, God turning over. Right? Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, fatherless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve desire, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Does that sound like our culture today? Absolutely. And so what Revelation is doing, it's not saying something different than what's happening right now. It's just saying God will escalate his wrath. The problem with, with wrath is, wrath is God giving us the, the consequences of our decisions to just give ourselves over to sin. What scares me is, in, in, in all of our lives, we have the capacity to do this. We have the capacity to resist the Spirit of God. 
who's constantly at work in us, constantly trying to change us, constantly calling us, put that down. Come back to Jesus. Our hearts become hardened just a little bit, 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 a little bit at a time. Okay? So when I meet someone, and, and I'll just use this as, as, as an example of it because it's so prevalent in our culture today. You know, here's this young lady who says, well, I'm confused sexually, and I'm, I've started to try to experiment this. My, my, I don't all of a sudden go, oh, you're lost forever, you're condemned. No, I say to, to that person, okay, let's, are you willing to just ask the question, what is God's will for you? Is, is it right? Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to take an honest look at this scripture and walk with me through it? And you decide. When you take this scripture and you put it in front of someone and you walk through it, you have to suppress the truth to get to a place where you say, oh, no, I'm okay with this. You have to suppress it. Folks, look, this is black and white, clear. So you have to be that person that goes, well, I don't think it means that. Or it doesn't? No, no, I, no, that's just, that was back then and that. You have to suppress the truth. Well, even then, I don't say to that person, okay, look, you're, you're a lost cause. What I say to him is, you're walking down a road where your heart can become so calloused to God that you'll reach a point that he hands you over to that sin that will consume you. And instead of now repenting and turning back to God, what does that person do? Now wrath changes in its purpose. On the front end, wrath is intended to do what? Turn me back. When I become so hardened to God that I reject the Spirit of God, I commit what the Bible calls the unforgivable sin. Now the purpose of wrath is what? Destruction. God hands you over to it. He says that you're no longer redeemable. We as human beings can never see that point. That's a spiritual point in a person's life. We, we don't know when that happens. In fact, I, my theory is there's a lot of people who step over that line who, who don't even believe they have, right? But when it happens, wrath now changes its purpose. Revelation is taking us to that place where we've seen all along God is pouring out his wrath in a measured, intentional way giving people the consequences of their sin for the purpose of turning them back. Many have become so hardened against God, they're really angry at him. They blaspheme him. Look at our culture today and tell me if I'm not correct. Look at newspapers, look at magazines, look at articles, look at news. Tell me if I'm not correct. There's an anger against Christianity in our world today. Almost a hatred towards it. Where, where does that come from? Well, it's not Christianity you're angry with. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, your maker, that you're angry with. And you are now blaspheming him. You're saying, you're my problem, God. Get out of my way. I don't want you in my life. I don't need you in my life. And so that really is what's happening here is, as these bowls of wrath are being poured out, the intention is to bring about repentance. As we get to the end, we will see so many that know our hearts are hardened we're going to do battle with that thing called Christianity. We're going to do battle with it. And anything that represents Jesus Christ, we will do battle with. Is it happening at the political level? Yes. That's what this is saying. I'm pouring out my bowl so that the 
political beast, right, is plunged into darkness. Ultimately, the efforts of the world to come against the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they will work for a while. They always have. You know, whether it's Marx and Lenin killing Christians and saying we're not going to have any Christianity or China saying we're not going to have any Bible that work for a while. But God always what? Prevails. Same in the end. He will prevail. And that's what we're seeing here with this, this fifth angel pouring out the bowl upon the kingdom, the kingdom of the beast, the political kingdom. Okay? Go, come back to Revelation. Go to verse 12. The sixth angel. This is kind of an interesting one to me. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Okay? So there's a lot of symbolism in this. If, if we go back to the Old Testament and we took maps and we looked at where Israel's greatest enemies come from. What direction do they come from? Okay. Well, ultimately, we would be able to say, here's, here's Israel, this little tiny dot wedged in between two, two great world powers, right? Um, Babylon and Egypt. Um, to, to give you an idea, if we go back into the Old Testament period of time, the land mass upon which Israel, as a country would have sat is is some something akin to uh, I'm going to get this wrong I want to say 400 point whatever I'm going to get it wrong but it's it's small compared to like 400,000 kilometers here and here it's just this little tiny dot how does it stand a chance many of it, of, of Israel's enemies right came from the east that's the symbolism that's being used here is God, remember when he dried up the Red Sea so that his people could go across it and escape from the enemy? Now reverse that. Here God is drying up the great Euphrates to make a way for, a path for what? For Israel's enemies to come against it. For the church's enemies to come against it. For Christianity's enemies to come against it. This kind of confuses us because God is the actor here. What is he trying to do? Well, he's, he's doing something to stir up, actually, the enemies of God. Why? Because I want to gather them together and crush them. It's a symbolic picture. It's like, if we're going to get all of our enemies to come, let's prepare the way for them, let's draw them in, and let's crush them. Right? That's the picture that you're getting here. So the, the drying out of the great Euphrates is the preparing of the kings of the world, right? those who stand against God, to come from the east. Now he does this in an interesting way. Verse 13 says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So there you have the unholy trinity. Three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, all, all throughout this plague section, there's a kind of a parallel with the plagues that God pours out on Egypt during Moses' time. Here, these are not literal frogs, right, as, as it 
was in the time of Egypt. But these are three unclean spirits. They're what? Well, we're told right away in 14 what they are. For they are demonic spirits. One thing we know about the end time, that half a time, is there's a releasing, right, of demons and Satan and an authorization of both parties, spiritual beings, angels, to create destruction against the church of God. God releases them. They're able to kill men. They're able to deceive men. Why is God doing that? He's bringing the end about. Here, that's clearly the case, is these three demonic spirits are able to perform signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world. So the purpose of these demons is to do what? To deceive the rulers of the world, world politic. To assemble them together for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So most of us have learned this, that uh, we, we think, well, at the very end of time, you have this, this battle that takes place between the forces of, of evil, Satan, demons, human beings, and God. Okay? I always like to put this in perspective. Think about this theologically. The battle, the battle for human souls has already been fought and won on a cross. Never lose sight of that. The war is over. The deed is done. There's not more left for Jesus Christ to do to save us and redeem us. No. So what is Armageddon? Or the gathering together of all the forces of evil? Well, it's not so much a literal, let's come have a battle war, right? But it, but it is a war against Christianity that's going on right now that escalates in the last time that culminates with the final destruction of all the enemies of Jesus Christ, including the beast, the false prophet, right, and Satan himself. So Armageddon is a picture of the end of the world, is what it is a picture of. Um, you have, right now, I believe, to some degree, demons at work through both of the beasts and the dragon. I mean, we've seen that from the very beginning of our study of Revelation, whether it's the white horse that's riding, right, speaking dragon speak. Um, we, we, we see this going on in our world today. What we know is that in that last time, that increases to the degree that world politics are what's set against that which belongs to Jesus Christ. Okay, we anticipate that. So this coming together for this great day of the Almighty. Notice Jesus is now quoted. And you'll recognize this quote um, in the book of Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus talks about this last day that he comes. Think of it in two ways. The last day is portrayed uh, here as a war, a final culmination of history, the crushing of my enemy. Okay. But it'll also be portrayed in a, in a more positive way as what? A great wedding. The wedding feast. The, the, the groom coming for his bride. So both apply. God is coming to destroy his enemy and to receive his bride and to begin the world anew. That's where this is taking us to. Okay? 
so that you know that's true? Matthew is quoted here. Jesus' words, behold, he said, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. I, I love those words because they're so helpful, you know, for me as an individual or for me as a dad, now for me as a granddad, to be able just to take these, these words of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, when will Jesus return? Like a thief, he says. You don't expect it. You don't anticipate it. You don't plan it. You can't plan for it. So what does he say? Stay awake. Stay awake. What does it mean to you when I say to you, stay awake? Be alert. Discern. Get yourself into the, the will and word of God in such a way that you can recognize what is false and what is truth, right? Can our kids do that today? Can my grandkids do that today? Okay. That's the question that I find myself asking. Why? Because so many people are caught up in a world that has done what? Suppressed the truth. Where I'm growing up and I'm being told what? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Don't let that bother you. That's your right. That's their opinion, right? The whole truth of God being suppressed in our culture today. Here's Jesus saying, I want you to stay awake. I want you to get the truth of God into you in a way that when you see deception, demonic deception, you're able to say, that's demonic deception. That's not truth. This is truth. And be able to stand on it. Then he goes on to say, keeping your garments on. All right? That's just a beautiful picture of what? Being clothed in the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, you know, I, I, get, I get a little bit worked up when I hear too many of our kids say things like, well, you know, I mean, you know, Jesus may work for me, but, you know, I've got a friend, he's Buddhist, and that kind of works for him, and this person over here, they're... You know, they're Baha'i and that kind of works for them. And this person over here is, I'm like, no, no, there, there's, only, there's, no, there's only one thing that will cover you in the end. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Keep those garments on. That you are not naked. That you are not exposed on that day. And so here come the kings from the east. And they assemble at that place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. What, so what is, what, what actually is Armageddon? Okay. So Armageddon actually takes its name from, you know, from, from two Hebrew words, Har-Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo. Um, any of you ever seen Har-Megiddo? Have you physically experienced it? Okay. Is it a giant mountain? It's not really a giant mountain, is it? Okay. It's, it's more like, what would you call it, a, a hill, right, set up here. There, there's a passageway that when, you're, when you look at Armageddon, you can see that the, the pathway, as you're looking at it, north, south, east, west, all gather together there. So it's, it's a place for the assembling of what? Of, of war. In the Old Testament, 
when you go back and look at it, there's a number of wars, famous wars, that are fought at Armageddon. Okay? Some of them include Barak and Deborah versus Sisera. And you'll find that in Judges chapter 4. That study takes you to Armageddon, Armageddon, this battle against God. Or uh, Israel versus Egypt in 2 Kings 23. What's happening? The enemies of God have come against Israel at Armageddon. All right? Um, or uh, Azhiah versus Yehu in 2 Kings uh, chapter 9. So you can look back, and, and if, if I'm listening to John as he's sharing the revelation for the first time, when I hear the words Armageddon, as, as a Jewish person, I go, oh, I know what that is. You're talking about that place where enemies have gathered against Israel and God has defeated them. I would say exactly correct, exactly right. That is what we're talking about. So what it's picturing is this climactic war of the enemies of God that are finally destroyed once and for all. Who is the doer of this war? Where in Revelation, you have this picture of God who is using demonic spirits to convince men that you not only can suppress the truth, but you don't need a God and you can come against them. And that is being done both in the political system and the false prophet in the church right now. And so what's happening is this war has been going on for a long time, since the advent of Jesus Christ. It culminates at the very end. The parallel to this in the Old Testament, if you flip over to it for just a minute here, we'll, we'll start to close out with this, is found, believe it or not, in a, in a parallel prophecy through the mouth of Ezekiel. Okay, So if you look at Ezekiel, uh, there's two chapters where you kind of pick up this idea of the, the battle that's going on. Ezekiel 37 and, and 38, or excuse me, Ezekiel 38 and chapter 39 are two chapters that kind of paint a very similar picture that was given all the way back in the time of Ezekiel, thousands of years before Jesus Christ was even born. All right? These words may sound a little bit familiar to you, all right? I'm not going to try to read the whole thing, but I'll just kind of put the picture in front of you. Chapter 38, how does it start? It says, The word of the Lord came to me and said, Son of man. Ezekiel is identifying himself as Son of man. Jesus identifies himself as Son of man. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses, horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them, a buckler and shield-wielding swords, Persia, Cush and Put, both Egypt, with them all the shield and helmet. What's interesting to me is Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Put, all today representative of what we would call our Islamic state. Very interesting to me. Very interesting to me.
that all the way back in Ezekiel's time, he's pointing to the exact region that shows up on your television on the newscast regularly here in the United States. And in fact, before I, after my walk this morning, which was rather chilly, <laughs> I came in, I'm getting dressed, I've got CNN on, and the whole, the whole presentation this morning was on how our media does not want people to use the term Islamic or Ehad. Now, I don't want you to use that term. Turn away from that. Don't, don't be talking like that. Whereas the Bible, for a long time, going all the way back to Ezekiel, has been saying, see that area right there? Enemy of God. Only enemy of God? No. But it's very interesting to me that when we talk about the kings of the earth being deceived and drawn out and a war, there they are, right there. One last verse, and we'll close. Go to verse 16 of that same chapter. Here's what God says. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land. Accidental? That, all this, that, that, that you've got a, a war against Christianity? No, not accidental at all. That the nations may know me when through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Okay. When you read the whole of chapters 38 and 39, guess where you get taken to? The same place that this bull of wrath takes this place. Harmageddo, the last conclusive victory. This is that moment in history where it comes to an end and God says, Satan, you may no longer be deceived my church. False prophet, you're exposed and naked for who you are. Those who've suppressed my truth. And now I overcome you and let the wedding take place and new earth begin. That's Armageddon. Okay. Um, let's stop there for today and we'll pick up next week. Lord God, thank you.